Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. I am your boy Buzz, and I am joined by my dude, Steve NWI Steve, and we are here to talk about White Sox news, because we haven't been on the mic in a long time together to even talk about White Sox news. The last episode was the, what was it, the Thunder Down Under, where Tony and Johnny talked about getting Liam Hendricks, having him come aboard, and uh, you and I don't have as sexy as news to break, but we're sexy guys so might as well just fucking let it roll here so we're gonna let it roll before we get into this episode be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your chicago sports literature and podcasting needs following us on twitter at socks on tap at ontap sportsnet following steve at nwi steve following me at buzz on tap anywhere you can listen to podcasts you can listen to us so give us a five-star rating and review because that's cool and tough steve Carlos Rodon, that's what we're talking about today, and some other things, but that is the highlight of the episode, Carlos Rodon. It's not as sexy as the Thunder Down Under thing, but hey, he's back. Hey, yo, Buzz. Yeah, you're right. Listen, the news might not be entirely sexy, but the voices that are bringing it to you are very sexy. Let's just, you know, tell it like it is. Um, Look, at the end of the day, you know, the Sox obviously knew that they needed to fortify the rotation here a little bit. I'm not exactly sure how much Carlos Rodon is going to be able to do that, but it is another body, I guess, for the time being. So um, pretty much it it just is what it is at this point. That's, that's the way I'm looking at this. Yeah. I, you know, Steve, like me and you've had this conversation a million times. Like, I am a Rodon guy. I, I like Carlos Rodon. I thought he had good stuff and everything like that. But I also kind of know when it's time to move away from something because it hasn't been successful. And, you know, the one thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, and or let me know if you've heard this as well, but the one thing that seems to be uniform with a lot of White Sox Twitter is, well, don't worry, he's working with cats now, so it's going to be fine. Like, I'm not saying that he's not a good person at his job. Like, I'm not saying he's not qualified. I'm not saying that he's, you know, whatever. But, like, dude, don't don't you think the fan base put a little bit of pressure on Ethan Katz here to be some sort of magician? Because look at the offseason program with Raylo, the offseason program with Cease, the offseason program with Kopech. And then you and I, on the last time we were on together, were like, oh, Dunning's getting traded because he's not in an offseason throwing program. You know, like, it was... I, I think they're putting too much pressure on this guy to turn these pitchers' careers around. That's four pitchers that he's going to have to try to get the most out of in a competitive season. Yeah, I don't even necessarily know that it's putting pressure on Ethan Katz. I think it's more so just, you know, he's one of the shiny new toys, I guess, for lack, for lack of a better term. And, you know, the, the organization was for so long in the Don Cooper mold when it came to the pitching program that a lot of people are of the mindset that bringing in a fresh new voice with new modern ideas is going to be the cure-all for a lot of the problems. And realistically speaking, that just isn't the case. 
there could certainly be some guys that will absolutely benefit from a new voice and new teaching methodology and, and ways of conveying a message, but it's not going to uniformly work across the board. I mean, I can tell you from personal experience, obviously having been a low level scrub pitcher that there are just certain times where a different voice from a coaching standpoint can articulate a message in a manner that helps you to unlock something to increase your performance. But again, it's not going to just automatically work for everybody. So I think the idea and the notion that cats will fix him has become the new coop will fix him from 10 years ago. It's just simply not based in reality. And like I said, I think that there are definitely going to be instances where a fresh voice you know, will have an impact on some of these guys. And look, if he is able to tap into something with, whether it's Dylan Cease or Ronaldo Lopez or get the most out of Michael Kopech, that's going to have a significant impact on the overall performance of this team here in 2021 and going forward. No, yeah, I mean, it's that's a great point. You know, I just, I, the more that I read online about it, I just, I, I, maybe it's my own nerves more so than anything and thinking that pressure's being put on him because, you look at the the first three of the rotation, right? You have Giolito. Obviously, you have to contribute a lot of the success to Ethan Katz from Lucas Giolito because Lucas went back to work with him in that, what was that, the 2018 offseason going into 2019. And then you have a, a veteran like Dallas Keuchel, and he had a great year for us last year. Well, a great 60 game, you know what I mean. You know, great great season for us last year. Then you add on a, a bulldog like Lance Lynn. The top three looks really good, and I'm still very excited about it. It's just, I don't know, I guess I was more so wanting another proven pitcher signed wherever you could have got that, and having Cease and Kopech, and, you know, I always kind of thought Raylo would go to the pen anyway, but having those two fight it out for, like, the last, you know, that last spot. Rodon, I mean, I know these are just projections, Steve, but I want to give them to you. Uh, Twenty, Age 28 season for him, uh, according to baseball reference, this is just projections again, that he's going to go 4-5, and five, which whatever record is whatever, but 4.70 ERA. They actually threw one save in here, so I'm wondering if they've talked to Bob Nightingale about that, um, you know, because he, he was the closer at one time. <laughs> but it's only 69 innings pitched, so th- those are just projections. You know, those don't really mean a lot, but Rodon has not pitched Steve, over 40 innings in two seasons. He has not pitched over 100 innings since 2018, and he was at 120. Only three times in his career, Steve, with the White Sox, which began in 2015 when he came up to the major league roster at 22 years old. Three times in the six years that he's been here, three times over 100 innings. That's it. Buzz, you're, yeah, Buzz, you're right. And I think, look, if he was able to get to those estimated inning tolls, that would be a nice uh, total number of innings there overall. But um, like, like you said, look... Carlos Rodon provides you with no certainty whatsoever. And to your point, I know I was very much of the mindset that I wanted to see someone else brought in in the starting rotation that would provide a level of certainty. That has really been the word that I have used time and time again this offseason when trying to to describe what I think this team and this organization ultimately needs to do with this young cost-controlled core in place is just add more certainty to the roster. And I don't think that they have done enough of that to this point here. And I think ultimately um, the budgetary constraints that have been placed on the organization from the very top are the main culprit for that. And it's very frustrating. And I understand a lot of the fan frustration with how the offseason has played out to a certain extent. Um, and it's just, 
like I said, it's it's ultimately it's just really irritating to to see this, and it it comes back to one simple fact: the guy at the top that, and actually Friday was the 40th anniversary of the beginning of Jerry Reinsdorf's reign of terror uh, here on, on the White Sox organization and the fan base here, and that's just kind of where we're at right now. So it's um, the the Carlos Rodon thing, like so many other aspects of this off season it doesn't move the needle a whole lot. And I think in a lot of ways, they're just really hoping that he can be a short-term bridge to when Michael Kopech is deemed ready miraculously once the service time manipulation period passes, and then they can just slot him back into the starting rotation. Yeah, I just, again, it just pressure on a guy that hasn't pitched in two-plus years. I mean, I'm spring training, I mean, we'll, we'll go 2020 spring training because he did pitch that, one inning or whatever, and you know, but obviously competitive, consistent pitching has not happened for him in a while. So again, I just the competitive season thing and the uncertainties that surround everything are just something that really get to me. You know, I I want to throw a name out to you real quick, and I know we're just bullshitting, drinking, you know, drinking beers and bullshitting. But Jake Odorizzi or Jake Arrieta, would you rather brought them in? I mean, Odorizzi's probably going to get more money, obviously more money than Carlos Rodon would get in. You know, Arietta is a guy who's having a showcase. You know what I'm saying? Like, the interest is minimal, but when you when you had kind of said a guy who's been kind of proven, that's kind of who I thought of off the top of my head right away, Steve, is just because he has been, I mean, last year he only pitched 44 innings for the, for the Phillies, but, I mean, obviously shortened season, you know how that goes, but, I mean... I, I thought that would have been better. I, I, I mean, you know, and I'm not trying to hate on Rodon, but did you see any anybody else that you were kind of looking at to have instead? The guy that I wanted, and I have been leading the, I, I have been the conductor of this train for going on two off seasons now. Um, a guy who signed with the San Francisco Giants for the same dollar amount that Carlos Rodon signed with, is another left-handed, versatile pitcher, Alex Wood who was disastrous, I'll admit, in 2019 with Cincinnati and had an injury-shortened season last year with the Dodgers. But anybody that watched the postseason saw that shit still plays. I mean, he was absolutely nasty for the Dodgers down the stretch in the playoffs there. And that's a guy that you can slot in there in the rotation for a period of time. And then once Kopech, if you deem him ready... That's a guy that you can slot into the bullpen as a swingman type role. That's the guy that I was ultimately wanting them to target because they're Alex Wood is a guy that while he has had health issues um, the same way that Carlos Rodon has, the key difference between the two is that when Alex Wood has taken the ball consistently, he has pitched at an above average level at the major league level for a consistent period of time. Carlos Rodon has not done that. And that's really the key differentiator between the two. And that's the guy I really was hoping the Sox would target ultimately. Yeah. Obviously I could sit here and say Trevor Bauer all day, but I was hoping they might pull off a trade as well. But you know, Woodruff or something like that. And that Corbin Burns shit had me kind of hyped up for a moment as well. You know, you know how it gets with this fucking off season compared to like the NFL or the NBA offseason, the MLB hot stove isn't hot consistently in very long. It's just kind of a, a long drag-out fight where you're just, you know, waiting for something to happen. But, I don't know, I, like I said, I, I you make a ton of sense when you say, you know, they're, he's a placeholder for Kopech. I put that in the article I wrote for ONTAP when, when Rodon officially signed for his three mil. I, I know that, I just, 
just pisses me off sometimes, man. Like you have you have these opportunities to not only win the division but be a, a dominant powerhouse in the AL, and you kind of you take your foot off the gas. And I don't really understand why. Another thing we should be talking about too is you know free agent moves. You know what's going on this off season. Backup catcher, Steve. The only reason I'm bringing this, I got a tweet about it right now because yesterday I tweeted out like, "Fuck it, go get Tyler Flowers, hurry up." You know, like, who's next? Tyler Flowers, and I'm hoping that happens. He is my He's the only one I really want that's sitting out here in, you know, in free agency because we, we need him. You know, we, we, we need a established catcher to back up Yasmani Grandal. Because if Grandal gets hurt, Steve, it's going to be a bad, it's going to be a bad time. No, I, I agree 100%. And look, um, Tyler Flowers is another guy that isn't sexy, but he would serve a functional purpose on this team as a good, competent backup catcher. Um you know, and that and that would just that would make a lot of sense if if you're asking me. I'm not sure that that's going to happen because it kind of seems to me like they're really going to go to the scrap heap for a non-roster invitee type. I know in the last uh, 24 to 36 hours, we're kind of seeing starting to see the name Jeff Mathis out there, a guy that is nothing more than a defensive specialist. I mean, he's about as competent with the bat as I am, which is pretty scary. <laughs> to be honest. Um, you know, that that's a guy that was Lance Lynn's personal catcher last year with the Texas Rangers. So there is a little bit of continuity there from that perspective. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Look, if Yosemite Grandal does go down for any period of time, that's a big problem right there because I know I'm somewhat in a minority here in the sense that I don't trust the idea of Zach Collins for an extended period of time. I think maybe you could get by for a month max with with Collins back there on a day in and day out basis I think there's enough in the bat where he could run into maybe four or five home runs in the period of of a month's time frame and give you a decent enough on base percentage to kind of tie things over until Grandal got back anything longer than that and you're really going to expose him long term and that would just be very problematic but bringing in a guy like Tyler Flowers makes all the world of the sense and you know, on a personal note, look, Tyler Flowers, of all the guys I've ever seen hit batting practice in my career, put on the most impressive display I have ever seen when I saw him in person at Target Field in uh, July of 2012. I mean, he's hitting balls into the third deck there with relative consistency. And I say this in all honesty, I have never seen a more impressive round of batting practice in all my life of all the games I've ever gone to. Dude's got tons of power. I didn't hear the Jeff. Ma- I, didn't, I didn't hear the Jeff Mathis stuff that you just brought up, and, and that's that's such a good point too because he caught for for Lance Lynn. So I mean that might be the guy. I I was just going down the list for shits and giggles, dude. And before I get into the whole Collins thing, is obviously Yadier Molina is not coming. You know, people. Uh, yeah, I understand he was cool with Tony Larusa. That's not happening. Um, I was kind of looking at a couple other guys too. You know, you have. Jonathan Lucroy, and I, I know that he, he was pretty decent for a couple years ago for the Angels. Went to the Cubs, was not very good. Went to Philly, was not great. You know, there was a lot of issues with him, but he was just kind of a bat that I was looking at. And, I, man, other than that, it's very, very thin. So going into your point, here we are now going into a competitive season, and Zach Collins is going to possibly be the backup catcher for us. And that's very concerning and not because Zach Collins isn't talented. It's because Zach Collins never got a chance yet. <laughs> like he's got, what does he have, man? He's got under a hundred MLB at bats. Am I right on that? I think he's got under a hundred MLB at bats. 
he might be a little bit over 100. You're right. He's 102. He's I'm sorry. He's 102 at bats. So, uh, 120 plate appearances. Yeah, I, I think it just speaks to, you know, maybe some of the greater fan frustration overall with this offseason in general is that the moves and a lot of the approach that has been taken by this team here as they are entering a competitive window has been very uninspiring and the lack of willingness from an ownership group to really try to capitalize on the beginning of this competitive window when they had an opportunity to not only put a stranglehold on the American League Central, but possibly on the American League when the Toronto Blue Jays are really the only other team making an active effort to improve their roster. This team could have been very well positioned for a three- to four-year period to make a run as being the top team in the American League, and they just showed no willingness whatsoever to do that, and it just really shows the short-sighted nature in which this organization operates on a consistent basis. Oh, you're absolutely right. Another thing I want to talk about, too, is we're talking about Collins, and we have to plug him into this spot, Steve, because he got a lot of time there. Well, not a lot of time, but you know what I mean. He's been there a lot. DH. You know, what are we doing here? I mean, that's another thing. Once again, it's just a question mark. You know, the backup catcher is a question mark. The end of your rotation is a question mark. Right field is a question mark. Not trying to take anything away from Adam Eaton, but we know that he's not the most healthy guy in the world. He's been, he's been hurt. I'm not saying he's a bad player, but he gets hurt. You know, it, it, it just it blows me away in DH. There was the talks that, you know, our, our friend that told me that Marcelo Zuna was on a plane on his way here had taken a picture with... Nelson Cruz and said, hey, White Sox fans are going to have a great week this week. I'm not trying to throw no shade out. He's a very nice guy, but I think he gets misled a little bit. Nelson Cruz is not coming here because the Sox are not going to pay Nelson Cruz. Could have told you that in the beginning, but what the hell are we going to do at DH? Is there anybody you're looking at or is it going to be another internal thing? I think from my perspective, and this was a piece that I wrote a couple weeks back, At this juncture here, I think they should really look at utilizing the DH spot with a more utility-based type player, Um, someone like a Brad Miller, someone that does have some defensive utility that you can plug into other spots on the roster to continue getting him at bats once they deem Andrew Vaughn ready. It seems very obvious to me here that the plan is, again, just to get past the service time manipulation date and then Andrew Vaughn comes up, which... I know I'm very much in the minority when I say that that is a very faulty strategy. Um, You just you look at a guy that has, you know, like 125 plate appearances in affiliated minor league ball. And we're going to plop this guy into the DH spot on a team that has come out and said that their aspirations are to win the World Series. That just doesn't work for me. If if. If I'm running this baseball team, if I'm cutting the checks, I have to have more certainty in that spot. Let Andrew Vaughn go down to double-A, mash, and hit his way onto the active roster. Not just be handed it because you like the progression that he made last year in Schaumburg at the, at the alternate site. If I'm really serious about winning the World Series, I can't go into that having my primary DH be a guy that's got 125 plate appearances in affiliated ball, none above Class A Winston-Salem. That just doesn't work for me. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait wait a minute. So you're you're telling me the guy that hasn't played above single A, and not that he even mashed in single A, his OBP was decent, but you don't want him being the DH off the bat. 
No. And and you think you're in the minority for that, which is crazy because I guess I'm standing right next to you, arms locked, because I don't think so either. And not because I don't think Andrew Vaughn, when he was drafted, what did we hear about him? He is the most uh, dynamic at bat in the draft. I mean, bat to ball, he does it all. He can walk, he can hit, he's the best hitter in the draft. Hands down. That's what we were told. No problem. That's good. I like that. And he has given us no reason to believe that he's not that yet. He hasn't had enough time. But <laughs> where I get irritated is the stats that we do have on him in Winston-Salem, in Kannapolis, there's, you know, Winston-Salem is high A, Kannapolis is, you know, just regular, whatever. He didn't really get any better from when he went from Kannapolis to Winston-Salem, number one, and that's because he's young, he's growing into this shit. Number two, everybody that is calling for him, and like, don't worry, we have Andrew Vaughn waiting in the wings. Well, he, there was no minor league season last year. Yeah, but they said he was raking in Schaumburg. What the fuck do you think they're going to say, Steve? What do you think they're going to say? That he was striking out constantly and he, he looked bad? They're not going to say that. Like, it, again, a bad situation. It's a bad It's an incomplete situation that they find themselves in. And that's, I feel like the fan base can bitch about this. Because you say you want to win a World Series. And we're looking at a guy who's never even seen Double A. And Double A is arguably the hardest of all the minor league systems. You know, you're not, you're not playing the... The, the quadruple A guys in Charlotte, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, your double A is where the creme de la creme is. That's where that's at. And uh, he hasn't gotten there yet. And I'm not saying he can't rake or anything. I'm not trying to be a dick about it. I just, just another another questionable move by the White Sox in this in this case, in, in my opinion, just because he's not, he, I don't think he's ready. And again, what do you think the team's going to tell you? That he's not doing well in Schaumburg when he was on the taxi squad? He wasn't playing well? They're not going to say that. Right, and I think the other point to that is if you look at the pitching that he's facing at the alternate site in Charlotte, he's you know going up against Bernardo Flores, Jonathan Stever, and a collection of relievers. We're not talking about ultra-high-end starting pitching prospects down there. So, yeah, I, I would hope he would be mashing down there. And again, this is coming from someone that is a major believer in Andrew Vaughn's overall hit tool. This is a guy that, to your point, Buzz, in going into the draft in 2019, there were scouts and people that actually follow amateur baseball consistently that said that he has the best overall hit tool of an amateur since the Cubs drafted Chris Bryant. And Chris Bryant has been a, a pretty successful major leaguer, I, I, I would say. So I know that there's um, a contingent of people that for some reason don't seem to want to understand that, but he's been really good. Yeah, so, MVPs are really easy to win. Yeah. <laughs> I, I generally think that that's good. Okay? Uh, call me crazy. So it's good. if Andrew Vaughn is being talked about in the same context as that, that's pretty high praise from my perspective. But again, Bryant was put in a position where he was allowed a full season at the at the double A level to face, to your point there again, the highest level of pitching competition that exists in the minor leagues. Andrew Vaughn was not afforded that opportunity, and now we're going to thrust him into the major leagues against the best pitching on the planet for a team that has said the goal is to win the World Series. I, I'm sorry, that just doesn't work for me. And again, I am a firm believer in Andrew Vaughn and what he will be ultimately, but he's not there yet. And to ask him and to expect him to be that right now is just 
again, so horribly short-sighted by this organization. It, it makes my mind want to explode. Do you feel like rushing a prospect? I mean, we've seen it a couple times here on the South side, regardless. I don't know how you feel, but I still feel that Gordon Beckham was rushed. I feel like Carson Fulmer was rushed. I feel like we saw things like that. I, I, I think that rushing a prospect up to the show can really mess with their psyche and their, and you know, whatever's going on in their brain, if they're not performing right off the bat and think about it, like Garrett Crochet, for example, that dude freak nature. Okay. I've, I have not seen something like that. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, he just no minor leagues, man. He just comes in and starts mowing you down. It's amazing. It was amazing, you know, but hitting, being a DH and, and, and not saying pitching is easier by any means. It's just, I, I don't know if you could strike gold twice with that. I, I really don't. And I, it's a, it's a lot harder to be an everyday guy compared to crochet plays every three, four days or whatever it would be, you know, two, three days, whatever. But I, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. One other fun fact I do want to bring up, not even a fun fact, but uh, I, I have to get your thoughts on this. What do you think about everybody's boy, Jock? Young Jock. He turned down the socks. What do you think about well, that? Well, here, here's ultimately what I think about that. I believe that his representation thought that there was going to be a greater market for him. And when you look at some of the other deals that have been signed out this winter, you know, by the likes of Eddie Rosario, even Adam Eaton, um, and, you, and you look at the issues with Michael Brantley and him having to ultimately go back to Houston – I think Jock's agent thought that there was going to be a greater market for him than there ultimately turned out to be. And, you know, the Sox made that offer for $10 million, which was more than what he ultimately ended up signing for with the Cubs. And they had to make a decision. They had to sit there and say, okay, here's our offer. We got to put some time constraints on this. And if you choose not to take it, we have to pull it back. We have to go in another direction because had they just sat there and waited for Jock to make that decision, they could have missed out on different alternatives out there. Now, now, again, we can have an honest debate about whether or not Adam Eaton is the right choice to fill the right field position, and I think that's a fair discussion to have. But they couldn't just sit around and wait for Jack Peterson for months on end here. And like I said, ultimately, I just believe that his agent overplayed his hand. Yeah, yeah, I think I think the same thing. I just thought it was so interesting to see he kind of got he kind of got burned. Now, again, Adam Eaton healthy, I think he might be a better option in you know in a in a lineup with a ton of power guys. You know, honestly, I mean, Ad, you know, Jock strikes out a lot, and we you know adding that to the to the lineup there is kind of questionable because you have a, you kind of have guys like that a little bit and you don't want to add more of that you want high obp guys that can get on base you want some a couple speed guys here and there and then you want you know eaton's not the greatest defender but neither's jock but i i think if healthy i really do if healthy i think that adam eaton's better i just think that there were better options obviously for uh, for us to go get yeah i mean on, on the eaton front look i think a lot of people are just operating under this assumption that he's going to be 2020 Adam Eaton bad, or, you know, he's going to be Nomar Mazzara in 2021. And I just think that that is so unfair in a number of circumstances. Look, this is a guy that we all know, and, and we know from his time spent here on, on the South side originally, that this is a guy that has had issues staying on the field with a level of consistency, particularly those first two years in Washington uh, with, with the Nationals. However, during that 2019 season with uh, the Nationals, when they won the World Series, he played 150-some games in there. And 
yes, the production last year was terrible. There is no sugarcoating that. There were a lot of guys with a lot more pedigree that have had a lot more success in the major leagues than Adam Eaton that were also terrible during the 2020 season. And so I think to make this automatic assumption that he's going to continue to be bad when, if you look at the totality of his career, when he gets on the field, he has been an above average major league baseball player. Now it's entirely possible that at the age of 32, he could rapidly be accelerating towards his decline phase, uh, particularly for a guy that, you know, a lot of his value came on the defensive side of the ball and using speed on, on the bases at 32 with the history of leg problems, you know, that could greatly diminish those part, that part of his skill set. But to just summarily say and, and dismiss him and be like, okay, well, he's going to be terrible. It's going to be Mazzara all over again. I just think is a little bit ridiculous. That's another thing, man, that I have to bring up, you know, the Mazzara thing all over again. Adam Eaton's a better baseball player than Nomar Mazzara. Okay, and and if you're that's it, not even debatable. <laughs> no, it's not, and that's the funny thing. It's like even if you're a guy that doesn't do numbers and you're in the eye test, if that's what if that's what your thing is, you know, like we you and I've talked about this before. You know, my old man, he's total eye test. Any numbers he he cares about batting average, on on base percentage, slugging percentage, and home runs and RBIs. That's all he gives a shit about. Everything else can go to hell. You know, that's just how he is. But he, I would assume he would tell me the same thing. Oh, yeah, Adam Eaton's 10 times better than Nomar Mazzara. If you're a numbers guy, says it in the numbers, too. I don't think he's going to be as bad as Mazzara. If you want, now, if you want to have an argument based on, well, if he's not on the field, he's giving you the same thing. Okay, that's a different argument. You're, you're right. You're right. If he's not on the field, what's he giving to me? I, I understand that argument to the side of things, but he's not a better player. It's an upgrade. It's a, it's a clear upgrade. It's just if he's not healthy, then it is what it is. I you know I don't really know what to say, and I'm I'm just nervous that we're gonna see Nomar Mazzara come back. You know I I, I bet hey, that could be the answer to the DH problem. You son of a bitch! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I just I'm gonna wake up in the morning from you know another tweet from Bob Nightingale. Nomar Mazzara, who stole 72 bases last year, you know <laughs> signs back with the White Sox in the first base role. You know, just that tweet. I'm, I'm gonna have to make fun of him forever when he was just like, you know, uh, boom, good old Boop Nightingale. Boop, boop Nightingale. The White Sox get their closer back. I read that. I was drunk a little bit, and I'm like, huh? Wait, what? I'm like, wait, is it Colome or is it is it Rodon? Who did they get? You know, I don't, it's it's fucking hilarious, man. That's fucking hilarious. Um, any? Do you have anything more that you want to touch on before we ride out into the sunset here, man? No, you know, I guess my only other thing is just kind of speaking about the totality of the offseason to this point here and really the lack of imagination that there has been it, it is frustrating to to a large extent and like i said i do understand a lot of the consternation amongst the fan base with it but i think what people need to keep in mind is that this is still a really good baseball team and i still think that they are going to be very good in 2020 20, or excuse me 2021 i think that when, when you look at things, they just they haven't done a good job of insulating themselves with quality depth to protect against injuries. And this has just been a White Sox staple for most of my adult life. They just refuse to have quality depth ready to step in in the event of untimely injuries. 
they're not going to be the Dodgers. And, you know, the Dodgers, you know, you look at their 40-man roster, they probably have about 32 or 33 guys that are legitimate major league players on it. And that's the thing that separates them from just about every other organization in the game of baseball right now is they have depth for days that they can withstand injuries. The Sox don't have that. The Sox have a lot of really high-end talent that I think we're going to continue to see an ascent. You know, when you look at guys like Giolito, Aloy, Luis Robert. That was beautiful. Timmy Anderson, Yoan Mankata. There's guys there that I think still have more in the tank as far as their development and their upward trajectory. But if those guys should happen to go down for some reason, if Eloy happens to run his face into a wall again and miss a month, they don't have good options to step in there and replace that production. That's long been my issue with this organization and how they operate. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's totally fair too, because like you said, you know, depth, depth is a very important piece. This isn't the NBA, okay, where a superstar can carry you. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what this is. It's not that. And depth is a very important thing that people don't talk about because they just look at, they look at what you see on the paper. They look at what you see on the lineup sheet. They look at what you see in the starting rotation. Oh, we're fine. It's going to be, you know, like, okay, what if one of those dudes get fucking rocked and they're, and they're out for a minute? Then what? You know, we're going to get Adam Angle every day. Does everybody want Adam Angle every day? I know. I know I don't. And when the fact that they were talking about him being in left field and fucking DHing Eloy made me sick. Steve, like, and not, and not because he's not a good player. I'm not saying he's not a good player. He's a fourth outfielder on a good team. He doesn't need to be playing every day. And that is my point with Adam Angle. Like, and then it's like, you can go sign somebody else, you see, Puig. Sorry, Steve. Uh, you know, but, like, it, they could do something like that and, and just make their team a little bit that much better. And then it gets a little bit more depth on it. And you ride out, but it just... I feel like we're bitching a little bit about him, but I think we have the right to. It's just, goddamn, man, you're trying to win a World Series here. There's a there's a buzz around this team. You have to spend money to make money. And somebody somebody get Jerry Reinsdorf that memo because you know the interesting thing is for as good of a <laughs> businessman as he has proven to be throughout the last forty years of his reign of terror here in the city of Chicago. I would think that he would understand that by now at this point. But again, he chooses to be very short-sighted in the way that he operates his businesses. As I had people on Twitter telling me yesterday afternoon, much to my surprise, and I don't know, maybe they were family members just you know, hoping to get their cut of the family trust ultimately when, uh, oh, no. when that time comes, that his ownership has been a success because of how much profit that the team has made and because of how much the franchise has appreciated. And that as a fan, I should be okay with how things have gone. I should be okay with the fact that in 40 years they've made the playoffs 15% of the time. To me, that's not a success. Who the fuck? I don't care. You gotta be kidding me. That happened in your mentions? Go 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 through them yesterday. It was insane. Oh my god. I ha- I'm uh, okay, we're we're keeping rolling here cuz I need to look at this while we're on here. <laughs> I, I I literally I I was absolutely dumbfounded. Yes, I had people telling me that his ownership has been a success because the team has been profitable on a consistent year in and year out basis and because of the franchise appreciation to the point where it's now about 1.6 billion dollars in revenue when he bought the team for 19 million dollars. 40 years and two days ago. Oh, I'm, dude, I'm seeing it right now. These got to be fucking burners or, I mean, 
this is unbelievable. Talking about the same guy that owns the Bulls, Jordan Arrow, with six fucking rings. You honestly think he gives a fuck about the Sox here between now and 05? Oh my god, they're sticking up for him. It's amazing. This is a success because he's made money? You know, I, shit, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what planet we're on anymore. No, neither do I. Like, I, I think I think the corona has literally infested the brains now of people, and is like making them go fucking insane. I cannot believe it's that 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 this guy is sticking up for Jerry in, in this way. And like I said, I'm not trying. It's not my money. I can't spend it. But to say it's a success, judgment as a businessman, I guess, yeah, sure. But letting your fan base down and your fan base booing you if they ever see you in person. Because you you fucked with them for so long, I don't look at it as an excess. Championships are success, you know. That's that's unreal. Yeah. And, and 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 so there's there's two there's two more points that that I want to make on on this little topic here. And I know Jerry Reinsdorf has been my personal whipping boy for a long time here on the old Twitter machine. Um, <laughs> but but a couple things here. So first, as a fan, we should look at and measure franchise success depending on franchise profitability and franchise value appreciation someone please let me know because i'm dying to find an answer to this where can i pick up the white Sox profitability championship t-shirts at i can't find them on the website is there a store that sells them because i'll gladly wear them i i, I guess because that should be the the standard by which things are measured here going forward and secondly <laughs> You look at Jerry Reinsdorf, he's got almost 80 seasons combined owning two professional sports franchises in a major market. And people want to say, oh, well, he's given Chicago seven championships. I'm sorry, almost 80 years of ownership and you have seven titles because you inherited... You inherited Michael Jordan. (laughs) You inherited the greatest athlete to ever live. So if you take... If you take that out of the equation here, if he doesn't get the Bulls, you're literally talking about one of the worst owners in the history of professional sports. I am absolutely dumbfounded by reading this conversation right now. I can't believe it. If 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 you guys want to read more of this that listen to Socks on Tap, just seriously go to NWI Steve's Twitter and just click on tweets and replies. I mean, this is just fucking, this is insane. But I, I do have some good news for you. The T-shirt that you're talking about, we're quote tweeting that right now, and we are we're tagging our, our good friend, you know him very well from Ontap Schwartzy, and we will now start selling the White Sox <laughs> profitability championship T-shirts. We're gonna start working on those, and we and we'll That's get. That's what it's all about, baby. <laughs> we we need this on a T-shirt, so that is absolutely fucking fantastic. Oh my god, dude! I listen. Listen, 05 was a great year, okay, for the Sox. And, you know, there's some franchises that have never reached the mountaintop before. But, I mean, if you really look at it, that was not sustained success after that. There was no sustained success there. It all went to shit relatively quickly. Um, I mean, basically right away. And then with the Bulls, like, you know, it's not – there's 16 teams in the NBA that make the fucking playoffs, Steve. There's 30 teams in the league, okay? We have not, besides when Derrick Rose was here in you know the height of 2010-2011, they have not been close. Jerry, I would not say, is an elite owner by any means necessary. He's out, you know, and he he make if he he's elite at making money, but he's not elite at keeping his fan base happy. And I, like I said at the beginning of the episode, or in the middle of it, you got to spend money to make money. 
he gets pissed off at Sox fans don't go to games is because you do stupid shit. You know, I mean, it's because you do stupid shit. Like, the diehards like us, yeah, we're going to fucking constantly go, but we're going to bitch about it. <laughs> you know, like, I don't even know what to say at that point. That's just, I can't wait to get that t-shirt, though. It's going to be great. That's going to be great. Can't wait to get that made up. Hot off the presses, baby. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, that's all I got. You got anything else before we leave here? Nah, we're good, man. Good talking as always. Been too long. I know, man. I know. I miss it. I miss doing socks on taps consistently. I I do. But you know, I'm glad that we were able to bang this one out. I'm gonna go play in the snow, and uh, you know, I'm gonna go. i use my new snowblower and, and start wrecking some shit out there. So everybody, be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Following us on Twitter at socks on tap at ontapsportsnet. Following my dude Steve at NWI Steve. Following me at Buzz on Tap. It's actually NWI underscore Steve. And then at Buzz on Tap. And anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to us. So give us a five-star rating and review. We'll be back when we're back. White Sox forever. White Sox for life.